Reformed Church. There was a time, you know, as I was growing up in the church that I used to think, you know, you, you hear this from, this from these people, you hear this from that crowd. Like, how do you really know that what you're hearing, you know, uh, is, is the truth, right? You hear, you hear pastors within the Christian church. One pastor says one thing, one, another pastor says another. This one interprets this this way, the other one interprets that that way, right? And that, that was always a, a, a little bit of a thing to me. Like, I would be hearing, and I'm like, yeah, like, what makes what you're telling me right? Like, what makes it correct, right? Um, and and I, I've shared this with you many times before, but I will tell you again that, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest things really that the Lord uh, began to teach us years ago was the discernment that we have by the Spirit of God, right? And that if something is according to Christ, right? In other words, that's, that's how you can tell when you're hearing something, right? Is something of God because it's revealing Jesus Christ? Is it showing you who you have been made, right? In Christ, does it, is it showing you um, all that is yours because of everything that he has done? In other words, is it about Jesus is in in light of the cross is it in light of what he's done right and so then so then it makes everything so simple so clean so cut and dry that you know if if you hear I mean what you do right you hear Christians talking about oh you know I, I um you know I'm I can't you know that's something that I can't help in my life you know that's that's my personality you know, I'm just like my father right like that right there, that, that ought to send a little trigger, right? When somebody says that they're just like their carnal father, are you just like your carnal father? Or is that how you were born? You were born just like your carnal father. But today, right, if you are Christ, right, if he is his, if you are his and he is yours, you have been made like him. You are no longer, the new creation that you are has absolutely nothing to do with your carnal parents, right? Nothing to do with your biological parents. Nothing to do with your upbringing. Nothing to do with the trauma that you uh, went through as a child, right? People, people take even things like trauma and they, they make that out to be something like, you know what, I have become a stronger person because of the trauma that I went through. And you know what, I can understand that coming from someone in the world, right? If you don't have Jesus, all you got is what you got, right? That's all, that's all that you have that you can use is what you can conjure up in your own mind. In other words, the only thing you have to lean on is your own understanding. That's it. Whatever's in there, whatever you know, whatever you've experienced, that's all that you got, Right? But, but there is something magnificent that's happened, right? When we're made new creations, the things that you went through in your past no longer mold your mind to be who you are today, right? The things that you've been through, the, st the struggles that you went through, the side of the tracks that you grew up, up, uh, up on, the, the, the country that you came from, right? All that stuff, what, what does it really mean in light of what Christ has done, Right? I mean, my, my parents are both, they're both Dominican. They're both from Dominican Republic, right? What, what, does, what does being, what, what does me identifying with the piece of dirt that my parents are from, what, what does that have to do with who I am in Christ? Now, and you can say, well, just because you're a Christian, does that mean you have to throw away your heritage? But the thing is, we don't understand. We're, we're missing the point. You have a heritage, right? And your heritage goes all the way back to Abraham, right? I mean, that is the heritage that we should identify with, because if not, if you identify with anything apart from who you are today, you will gravitate in your mind to who you were before, right? In other words, the, the things that we are today, the way that we speak, the, the things that we say, right, the, the, the way that we are, the way that we think, 
those things should be in line with who you are, right? And even the world would say that, right? Like, be true to yourself, you know, just, you know, don't, don't let anybody change who you are, right? But in reality, for a Christian, that's true, right? We should not be denying who we are because we want to identify with a group, with a, with a culture, right? I mean, I, I, I don't just thank God for Dominicans, I thank God for every single person in the world that, that knows the Lord, that, has, that works in order to be able to expand the gospel, right, the truth of what the Lord has done. I'm thankful to anyone that helps other people and that, right? So there's, in, in my mind, you know what it is? It's not even just a thing about, oh, it's not about black or white. It's that it's, it's, it has nothing, it's just, it's just people, right? We are, we are a race of human beings that need so desperately to understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? There are two types of people in this world. Those that believe and know what the Lord has done and those that don't. That's it. That is it. And, I, and I'm going to show you something today and hopefully, you know, you can see, you know, past, you know, just... Uh, the, the surface of the things that the Lord has written in, 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 in Scripture without, are obviously true, right? The surface truths that you see there are things that actually happen or things that are true. But then there's also a revelation of who Christ is that is embedded in Scripture, right? The purpose of Scripture is to reveal Jesus to us, right? So, so um, w- w- one of the things that, you know, I, you know, as I was growing up, just as a little guy, m- my dad was a man that I respected, right? I respected him because I knew better, right? because my dad was not, he's a, he's a short little man. I mean, my dad is like 5'4", but, you know, there was something about him, like, you didn't mess with him, you know what I'm saying? It just, he, he's just, he, he had a, just a bad temper, and, and you know what? My dad did, he was not saved, right? All through um, my childhood, he never knew the Lord. Um, I could tell always that he wanted to know the Lord. Like, and, and now, thank God, my, my dad is saved and knows Jesus. But, but he, you, I, like I could tell in his life, like remembering back, I could tell he, he was wanting to know God. Like he was seeking the Lord. He was just led in, in a lot of different directions, a lot of wrong directions. But he was, he was seeking the Lord. Um, and, but one thing that I, um, I took from him, you know, the hard way or the easy way was correction from my dad, right? I, I, I took correction, and someday if I didn't like it, you know, he made me take the correction, but I took the correction, right? And, um, and that's something that I have come with my Heavenly Father to appreciate so much in my life is the Lord correcting my thinking. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a far cry from being a Christian and saying, Lord, I, I, gotta, I have to learn this word, Lord. I got to study. I have to, I have to get down you know, to the brass tacks of this Bible, and I got to get in here, and I got to study every day. And, and this leaning, again, on your own understanding, trying to achieve something, versus coming to the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord, in and of myself, my God, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to approach Scripture or approach the things that are about you as though I have the capacity in a carnal mind to be able to understand who you are. But I know, Lord, that... I have your mind on the inside of me and that you, I have, I have on the inside of me the knowledge of all things in me. Therefore, Lord, teach me those things. Like bring those things up to my remembrance and, and renew my mind with the truth so that I can know you, right? There is a, um, there, there's a truth here. Let me, let me just show you this. I don't want to take too much time here preempting all this stuff. But um, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 9, I had read this to you before. Hebrews 12, 9. 
It says, furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence, right? We respected them. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live, right? In other words, that, that's, it, that has nothing to do with you applying your mind. What the Lord said there is he, he's not saying apply your mind, right, and learn who I am. The Lord says take your heart and, and let it be subject to me. In other words, that the Lord can take your mind and he can put in what belongs and take out what doesn't, right? And that in my mind, right, in, in our hearts and in our minds, we wouldn't hold tightly to any one thing that the Lord is, w- desires to correct, but we're holding tightly to it because we don't want the Lord like to mess that truth up, right? This is something, you know, I've held on forever, you know, and I, I, I have this loyalty to this, this denomination, or I have a loyalty to this teaching, or I have a loyalty to this way of living, or I have this loyalty to my pastor who taught me. Listen, I thank God for all of the pastors that throughout the years had input into my life and spoke truth into my life. But here's what I know. None of them knew everything. Paul the Apostle, which is one of the men in Scripture, right, one of those that wrote the, the majority of what we call today like the canon of the Bible that we hold, right, he did not know everything. Isaiah did not know everything. Matthew did not know everything. Even Jesus himself limited when he came to this earth in, a, in carnal flesh, limited himself to the things that he could know, Right? So obviously today in, in his glory, obviously the Lord limits, is limited in no way, right? And, and, and so obviously he's made us. But the thing to know is that, that men that have spoken so far, I, ha- I have not heard yet of any man that has in- had input into my life either through scripture, right, or through, through teaching that has known everything. Therefore, I can value the things that that men or women speak into my life that are according to Christ, right? But I have no at all, no loyalty at all to any individual that I would hold on to something that is not according to Christ because you said it, right? I, there's no loyalty for me. That. I, I don't, I'm not going to hold on to something and say, well, it's not according to Christ, but you said it, so there's probably some truth in that. No, if it's not according to Christ, I let it go. It's, it's, not, it's not important to me who said it. In other words, what's important to me is what is being said about the truth about Jesus Christ. It's not an individual. So, so when, you, when you read a lot of the things even that the Apostle Paul wrote, right, there's so much truth in the things that he wrote, but he, you could even see by the things that he said, even the way he talked about death working in him, right? Obviously, that's not something that Jesus wanted for him. Do you actually think that the Lord was saying to Paul, you know what, I want you, I want you to suffer death? for me right jesus was the one that came to suffer death for paul god is not asking anybody to suffer death for him right that would be ignorance to think that somebody that jesus wants you to suffer death for him now many many times there were people that did not accept the deliverance of god that they have living on the inside of them and and that's fine god does not god does not uh diminish but instead honors the faith of people, right? Whether they died in faith or they, they, whether they still live on in faith, God honors faith in Jesus Christ, right? He doesn't dishonor a person because they died because of things that they didn't know. Basically, every person that has ever died has died because of lack of knowledge, right? If, it were, if you knew all things, you'd be living eternally, right, in this body, right? Your body would be made new. So, so, so how important is it for us to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I want my heart to be subject to you and i'm willing to allow you and and this is an important thing right i'm willing to allow you lord to correct 
any thinking in my mind that is not according to Christ. And to hold nothing dear is not according to him, right? In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 22, let me show you this quickly. Um, when, when, we're reading, when we're reading scripture, right, and some of the stuff that we're going to read today, when, when you hear something, again, how would you say, Lord, is that, is that right? What I'm, hearing, what I'm hearing preach here at Reformed Church, is it right or is it wrong? right? Well, specifically, when you hear things about the law, you've heard us say before, right, that the law, the intention of the law was not for us as uh, born-again believers to be living according to that law, but that the intention of the law was to bring us to Jesus, right? And there are people still today that wouldn't even believe that, and maybe they don't even know where it's written in Scripture, which I'll read it to you today. But the purpose of the law was just to be something for the time being, until Christ would come so that we would see our deficiency, so that we would see our guilt, so that we would see our inability, and we would say, yes, you know what? I need a Savior. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 22, he says, but the Scripture has concluded all under sin. That means all people before the coming of Christ, right? Scripture declares that everyone is under sin, right? Everyone is under sin. Right? That, that's the whole thing about, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That, that includes all men, all men, all women, right? All people. But the scripture has concluded all in the sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, right? So in other words, that those that put their faith in Jesus would receive the promised spirit of God, right? Verse number 23 says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. That's the law of Moses, right? Before faith came, we were kept under the law. Um, we were kept under the law, shut up, it says, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24 says, wherefore, it says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus, right? To bring us unto Jesus that we might be justified by faith. So, I mean, that's so clear, right? There is this element of justification or righteousness that people think that they achieve by keeping the law of Moses, Right? That's so clear there, right? It was just your schoolmaster, in other words, to teach you that without Christ you couldn't, to be able to bring you to him so that you would understand that justification from your sins can only come from faith. That you could, we, we, by trying to just do good to keep Ten Commandments, you could not do it, therefore you could never be justified by faith. Sorry, you could never be justified by your works. It would have to be justified by faith, right? Well, what I, what I want to read to you today is very much in line with a couple of the last messages that we've taught, which are in line with a lot of the things that I just shared with you here at the beginning. But to be able to show you from, from the, the account of Elkanah and Hannah so that you can see a different side of that, right? There are different things that we've preached about Hannah and about, uh, uh, I always say Penaniah, but her name actually is pronounced, I think, uh, Panina, actually, right? Like Panini, I think it's actually pronounced uh, Panina. Um, and and, and what, what I hope that you can see there is the, the need that we had to have a redeemer, right? We needed someone to redeem us. And the only one, the only way that humanity as a whole, right, could be redeemed from sin was to have have someone come and suffer the death that was ours. Because th th what has never changed is that the wage of sin is always death, right? The wage that sin demands is death of the sinner. That, that, is, that, that is a concrete 
law, right? It, just, it never changes. So the only way for us to escape death the only way for us to escape corruption, the only way for us to escape guilt and condemnation was for somebody else to take our death. So if someone could take the punishment for our very own sin, that would free us, right? So we, we needed to have a redeemer, right? We needed to have a redeemer. And it was, only, it was only by us receiving a redeemer, only by us receiving the finished work of Christ, that we who could not be fruitful before, Right? We did not have the fruit of the Spirit before, so therefore we could not be people that could, that could be fruitful in and of ourselves. Right? But, but the Lord made us that way. Right? He, he saved us, he redeemed us, and then he made us people that can be fruitful. Right? He made us fruitful. So in, um, in 1 Samuel, if we can go there, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 1, It says, now there was a certain man of uh, Ramiathan Zophim, I guess is how you pronounce that, of Mount Ephraim. And, he, and his name, it says, was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. So, so obviously, we're, we're not just reading this, right, just on the surface, as far as, I mean, it, many of you may know the story of, of Elkanah and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Penaniah because it's kind of ingrained in me. I've read it so many times as Penaniah. But um, he had basically, he had two wives, right? Elkanah had two wives. He, one of them was, had many children and the other had no children at all, right? So that means that one, one of his wives was fruitful, the other one was not. And, and it, it came, it happened that every time that Elkanah came to sacrifice, right, when he brought his offerings to the Lord once a year, what happened is that uh, the one woman, right, would... Uh, would rail against Hannah, right, and, and, and make her feel guilty, right, and basically embarrass her so much so that she was called Hannah's adversary, right, um, because she had no children. So she would remind her constantly of the fact that she's unfruitful, right? Um, and then and, and Hannah, you know, came to a place where she said, you know what, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would give me a son, and if you give me a son, she said, I will give him back to you. I will give him to the priest, right? I'll give him back to you. And, and she did have a son. Hannah's son actually is what, who we know as the prophet Samuel, right? That's why it's written in 1 Samuel. Uh, Hannah is Samuel's mom, right? And Hannah had many children even after Samuel. I think total, if I'm not mistaken, I think she had seven children altogether, right? But she became fruitful afterwards. And she did give Samuel to a priest. As a young age, the minute that Samuel was weaned right from her breast, she gave Samuel to the priest, Eli, and he was raised by a priest. And obviously she visited him often, but he was raised by a priest. Now, so obviously that, that, is, that, that is the story of what happened. That is the historical account of what happened. That's the, the descendancy or the descendancy story of Samuel the prophet, right? But if you look at verse number one of 1 Samuel one thing that you see is Elkanah, Elkanah here, right, in the way that we're going to speak about him today, he's a picture of the Lord, right? And Elkanah means redeemer, right? If you were to look at, like, what is the meaning of that name? His name, actually, you, you know that it has something to do with the Lord because that name actually starts with L, E-L, right? And L, like Elohim, right? El is, right, has reference to the Father. So Elkanah means, right, like God our redeemer or redeemer. So if you look at Elkanah, like, okay, that's a picture, that's a picture of the father, right? So it says that um, in verse number two, it says that 
He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So there, when, the, when it says that, you know, like, how is that like that the Lord had two wives, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's clear from several scriptures. Isaiah mentions it, right? Um, and there's other parts of scripture also that mention kind of, kind of the same thing, how, um, how in, in this example, Right, the two wives are basically like like two nations, if you will. Right, people people that um, that know the Lord and people that don't. In other words, believers, right, and believers and unbelievers. And if you remember when we were talking about the tabernacle, right, the tabernacle was kind of a the, the first portion of the tabernacle represented the works of men, right. So obviously, by the works of men, there is. There, there can be carnal fruitfulness, right? In other words, uh, Penina did not have children by the Spirit of God, right? Penina had children by just carnal relations with Elkanah, right? That's how she was fruitful. But Hannah, on the other hand, was unfruitful, and it says that the Lord had shut up her womb. So, so there was a fruitfulness that Hannah desired, right? But she was unfruitful, and there was a fruitfulness that Penina had, which was not according to the Lord, right? So in other words, Penina was according to the works of men, and Hannah was after the Lord, right? Seeking after the Lord. So, so you could say that it represents two nations, right? In, um, in verse number three, it says this man, and that's making reference to Elkanah, which means redeemer, right? He went up out of the city yearly to worship unto the Lord uh, of hosts in Shiloh. And the, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, it says the priests of the Lord were there. So what you see there is you see a picture of that tabernacle, right? It says that, that Elkanah came and offered up... Um, it says he, he bought offerings, but he bought it yearly, right? That yearly offering, if you remember, kind of can bring you back to the example in the tabernacle of how the high priest alone, right, was able to go through the veil, and he entered in past that veil into the holiest of all, but he did that only once a year, right? Now, obviously, that, that's a picture of how... how uh, how we enter into heavenly things, but also apart from that, right? That is one significance of that, right? How we have entered in through the veil, which is the flesh of Christ. But also, Scripture also gives you kind of a different spin on that, right? A different layer of that, which he says that while that tabernacle, in other words, those yearly offerings were still in place, and I'll read the Scripture to you in a second, but while that was still happening, in other words, while there was a physical carnal high priest that was going in through a physical veil to enter into the holiest of all which was part of an earthly tabernacle that while he was still doing that year by year that that meant that the actual way into the holiest of all the actual way into the actual heaven right was not yet made manifest in other words it was not clearly seen yet god god the father had even though he is right he's called god our redeemer he had not shown the way that he would redeem it he in other words that way had not come and and in um let me, let me show you here real quick um, in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 6, right? This is just speaking about that yearly, that yearly sacrifice and even really all the sacrifices. But it says, now when these things were thus ordained, that's Hebrews, sorry, 9, 6. I don't know if I told you 6. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, right? That was a constant everyday thing, accomplishing the service of God. Verse number 7 says, but into the second, right, into that holiest of all, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, um, verse number eight says that that was also a picture of the fact that the Holy Ghost, he was signifying to us that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while that first tabernacle was still standing, right? So, so what he's saying there is that, that right, while that was still going on, what there really was was not really a forgiveness of our sins, but while that was still going on, that was actually a remembrance of sin. Every single year was a constant remembrance of sin. Every single year was a constant remembrance of sin. It says in verse number three again of First um, Samuel 1, and this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts uh, in Shiloh, um, and, the, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So it's an interesting thing to see. Like what the picture that he gives you is what, what he's talking about is a yearly sacrifice that had earthly priests, right? Of course, it brings up the name, the actual historical fact of the fact that the sons of Eli, which were actually two wicked priests, were actually there. But if you really think about it, why is the Lord saying, he's, he's talking about Elkanah and his yearly sacrifice, and he goes off to name the two earthly priests that were there. The reference that God is making is this is an earthly tabernacle, right, talking about earthly sacrifices that are made year by year, right, that, that, that show and symbolize, signify that the fact that, the, that Christ, who is actually the way into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest and known to everyone, right? So, so it says that the priests were there, meaning this was still an ordinance with carnal priests, right? In verse number four, he says, and when the time, uh, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, uh, he gave to, to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters uh, portions. And there... Um, I, I'll leave this kind of as opinion right now. I think that ties in perfectly into that carnal priesthood because it says that a priest, the intention of the priest and his sacrifices is to, is to make uh, offering, to bring an offering for his own sins and for the sins of the people, right? Here what you see is Elkanah, right? He, he says that he brought offerings, right? Obviously for himself because he's the one that bought them. And then also it says that he gave portions of that, it says, to, to his family. But we'll, we'll leave that right now as opinion right there. Verse number five, we'll keep going. It said, but, but, uh, but unto Hannah, um, but unto Hannah, which her name is really interesting, right? Elkanah means uh, redeemer, right? And you can say, well, you know, aren't you kind of stretching this thing because now, now we're, what are we doing? Instead of just reading scripture, now we're looking at the definitions of people's names. Again, here's the thing. When, when something is, is so clearly, you see so many things within, within a, uh, a historical account, right? And you say, okay, Lord, I'm reading this historical account. And there is a way that this account of Elkanah and Hannah reveal you. Like, God did not write the story of Hannah and Elkanah. So if you are not barren and you can't have kids so that you can take hope that if Hannah had a child, you will too, Right? That's bogus. That's ridiculous, right? There's no hope in that. You, you don't read about someone that never had children that has children, and all of a sudden you're going to take hope from that. There's no assurance for you there. I mean, you could take hope from that if you want, right? But that's living in the world, right? 
People that are in the world that don't have Jesus see something positive happen in the life of another, and their hope is, which is not really biblical hope, but their thinking is, you know what? If it happened to them, maybe there's a good chance that it can happen to me. That's living by chance. That's like throwing dice, right? You have no assurance. You're just hoping if it happened to him, it could happen to me. If he got a raise, maybe I can get one. If he, she had a child, maybe I can have a child. If I'm, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm 67 years old and I still want to have a child, well, there's an old woman. Look, I read of a lady that's 80 years old and she had a child. What is that to you? What is that to you? You're 67 and you want to have a child and somebody's 80, right? And they, they did have a child. Does that give you any assurance that you can? No, it does not, right? Gives you no assurance at all. It, it may give you some false hope and some expectation, but that's carnal thinking, right? Again, I know that maybe still in our minds, some of that, well, I don't know, it still makes a little sense to me. Well, the reason why it still makes a little sense to you is because you're identifying still in parts of your mind with the things that, and the way they work in this world. But again, that is living in a way that offers you no assurance. In other words, certainty in our lives, right? I don't, I don't want to live like every day get up and roll dice to see what my day's going to be like or have a magic eight ball on my, on my nightstand and then get up and say, what kind of day is it going to be today? Oh, it's going to be a bad day and therefore it's going to be. That's, that's what living carnally is like. It's like shaking a magic eight ball and whatever the magic eight ball says, that's how your day is going to go. People actually do that junk, right? They actually do this, right? They, they open up a fortune cookie and they think that means something, right? And I know, listen, here's the thing. People joke around about that, right? Come on, Pastor Dave. Nobody believes that. No, you're lying. People open that stuff and crack it, and if it says anything remotely close to what they're going through, they take it like that's some kind of sign from the fortune cookie, right? People live by this stuff, and as silly as that sounds, that's as sad as the human condition is without Jesus, right? And that is why we exist, to be, to be able to give people the surety that they need in their lives and stop living by a fortune cookie right? That we can actually give people the assurance that they need in their life to be sure to live with boldness that can come only from what Christ has done and not from what a fortune cookie or a magic eight ball said, right? All right. So, so it says, um, Hannah, her name means grace, right? Which is just by itself, right? That's an awesome thing. Elkanah means redeemer, the one who has no fruit, who can't look at Penina and say, well, because you have kids, I'm going to have one, because the woman is ridiculing her, right? In other words, the, 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 those that are believers, right, are, are ridiculed or persecuted by the unbeliever, right? So, so it, says, it says, but Hannah, unto Hannah, it says he gave, Elkanah gave, our Redeemer, right, gave a worthy portion, listen, for he loved Hannah. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, now listen to this. It, it, it makes a point of saying, banana, 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 and a banana, right? Uh, I'm just going to call it Penaniah. Um, I keep saying that I'm going to call it Penaniah, right? And I keep reverting back to the real way of saying it. But that's okay. I'll, I'll leave that in there so it causes a little humor throughout the message. So, um, not that you need it. So, it says that he loved he loved Hannah. Now, here's the cool thing. You also re recollect that the Lord had said that about somebody else, right? Who also has the Lord said that about to, that is in Scripture, that the Lord said that he hated one but loved the other, right? To Jacob, it was the same way, right? Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Like, what is that? Is, is it that God looks at somebody and says, you know what? You 
You've always been a good boy since you were little. I just love you so much. That Esau, he's been a naughty boy ever since he's been born. I don't like him. I hate him, right? That's not the idea behind that, right? The idea is that there are people in this world who will allow the love of God to come to them, who will receive the love of God that is Christ manifest to them, right? And there are other people that will refuse, will out and out reject and call God a liar, that there is a redeemer and a Christ that has come to deliver us from sin and exit us out of this world, right? And will, call, and will refuse to accept it right um hannah hannah was one and 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 actually i'll read this to you because i was just going to say the word foreknowledge but i don't want to bring any confusion to this but there is a there is a, a knowledge that the lord has obviously of us that before we were ever even born before you could ever even do anything right or wrong Jacob was loved and Esau was hated right these were these were truths that are um that were in the mind of heart, uh, the mind of heart, the, the heart of God, right, by what the, what the Bible calls the election of grace. In other words, that there, there are the elect of God that are those that even though they have not accepted God yet, they will accept him. In other words, there are people that the Lord knows in his foreknowledge, right? People that the Lord knows, you, you're not, you haven't received my love yet. You haven't received the Redeemer that I have sent, but you will. I know that you will receive him, right? In, in, just to read this quickly for you, in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 10, and, and I'll bring you right back to 1 Samuel again, Romans chapter 9 and verse number 10, it said, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, uh, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. In other words, you know that it's not of works. They weren't even born yet, right? They weren't even born yet to do anything good or bad, right? So God looked at Jacob and said, right, I love Jacob. But it was not, obviously it was not because of Jacob's work because he hadn't even been come out of Rebecca's womb yet, right? But so, so like, what, imagine the things, like if you just allowed the Lord to teach you just about that alone, how does that debunk the, 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 the mindset that even some Christians have and people have in this earth that talk about that, you know, that they feel like they feel closer to the Lord or they feel like God loves them when they're either, you know, just meditating or up on a hilltop or, you know, when they've done something really good and they make, they feel really good about themselves. Like they talk about God, but they just said they feel good about themselves, right? You feel good about what you just did. You don't feel good about God. You feel good about your work right? But we get that confused with how God feels about you, right? But here it says that before the children haven't not even done anything good or evil yet, right? They weren't even born yet. He said, it said in verse number 12, it said, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, right? Obviously, that's not talking about the fact that God hated Esau and did not want Right, almost like did did um did Christ die for Esau? Of course he did, right? Did did Christ die so that Esau could be saved? Of course he did. The one the one that actually symbolically you can see that right that actually traded in his birthright was Esau, right? For a for a bowl of soup, right? In other words, he de- he depreciated and did not respect 
the birthright, which the birthright was just a symbol, right, of the rights that we have according to the firstborn who is Christ, right? So when you read that about Esau, oh, that's not such a big deal, you know what, so what? You know, he still loved his dad. You're reading something so superficially that you don't even understand. Again, why is it that we would read something about Esau like that so superficially and be like, well, I don't know why, God, why you were so hard on him. He, he traded in his birthright. It wasn't what the way God was with him. It's the way he treated God. It was the way he treated the gospel, right? He was the one that, that said, you know what? I, Jacob saw the value in the birthright, right? He saw the value in the firstborn, right? And he was the one that said, you want food? Give me your birthright. And he was so desperate that he did what? What any earthly carnal person would do. You know what? Living for right now, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Right now, I'll give you whatever you want. Just give me food, right? And and it was, you know, it's different, you know, in the picture that we're seeing with Hannah. If we go back to 1 Samuel again, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number um, 5. It said that Hannah, to Hannah, it says unto her, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So he's what, here's, before you even read the rest of it, right, or before you allow your mind to go there, Hannah, you know, the Lord in his foreknowledge, right, knew that Hannah would love the Lord. In other words, that she would receive the Redeemer, right, which in this case is played by who, right, is played by Elkanah, right? So, so giving away the ending here, right, Elkanah comes to a place where he knows Hannah. In other words, where they, where, where they, where he knows her intimately, right? And she becomes fruitful. That is the receiving of the Spirit of God, right? But, but anyway, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So he knows, right? What she, he loves Hannah. He knows what she'll receive. Verse number six says, and her adversary, and it's a really cool way that, uh, Penaniah is kind of spoken of, right? It says that Hannah's adversary provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her wound, right? And, and there, there, there's an interesting thing there about how, you know, you know when you think about Penina and you think about uh, the works of men, right? The way we were talking about the tabernacle, right? The first tabernacle representing the works of men, the second tabernacle representing uh, the, the work of God. In other words, even you can look at it, the old covenant and the new covenant, right? It says, um, you, you can tell that through, through, uh, through the works of men or through the law, right, is just what? The consciousness of sin. It says but that yearly when men bought sacrifices, in, in that yearly over and over again sacrifice, there was a constant remembrance of sin, right? In, in here in, in verse number six, it says that her adversary, it says also provoked her, right? So that obviously the adversary there is, is a picture of the condemnation of the devil of this world, right? Where, where it is the, 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 the one that tries to play the accuser of the brethren, right? That actually has no right really at all to accuse any Christian, right? Because, because the reason why there's no audience and there's no truth and why he's called, one of the reasons why he's called the father of lies, right, is how can you accuse and make someone feel guilty because of something that they've done, right, when, when their very sin is what Christ came and took, right? In other words, it was the punishment for our sin that Christ came and took. So how, how could we accept condemnation, 
right? And allow allow the, the things that are out in the world, right, to, to, and even sometimes, honestly, people will take and read Scripture, but not read Scripture in light of Christ, read Scripture in light of the mistake that they made. You know, that's a different way of reading Scripture, right? You can read Scripture with everything in your mind is what you just did, and believe me, you will find something in what's written, right, that is going to condemn you for what you did. But that's reading Scripture the wrong way, right? Because Scripture is intended to reveal Jesus, not to reveal your sin, to reveal Jesus. The law was intended to reveal your sin and to bring us to Christ, right? But after you've come to the place already where you, yes, I already acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I have need of a Savior, you don't have to keep doing I mean, that's the whole fallacy behind you got to remember your sin and you have to confess your sin constantly to God. It's not about you remembering everything that you've done. It's acknowledging that you need a Savior. Listen, salvation comes to an individual because they admit that they need one. I need a Savior, right? I need to be redeemed from my sin. You, you don't get saved because you remember everything you've done. It's kind of, kind of like the ignorance of what we're talking about is if, if I have a good memory and I can recollect everything that I've done, then I'm safe. But if I have a bad memory and I forget stuff real quick, then you're, you're in trouble, right? Because you can't, how can you confess everything that you've done if you forgot what you did, right? Obviously, it makes absolutely no sense to our redemption, but it does make sense when you see that redemption comes because of our acknowledgement that I need to be saved, right? That I'm a sinner and I need a savior, right? First John talks about the fact that if we say that we have no sin, we're making God a liar. But if we say, you know what, Lord, I do have sin. I need to be delivered from sin. I need what Jesus did for me, right? Then you're receiving salvation, right? Redemption from your sin. So in verse number seven, then it says, and, and as he did, meaning Elkanah, as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, talking about um, Penina, provoked Hannah, therefore she wept and did not eat, right? Therefore she wept and did not eat. Look at verse number eight. Um, so, sorry, so before we get to eight, so what you're seeing here is a picture of like guilt and condemnation, right? The, the, the adversary comes, right? And before you're saved, condemning you. Guilt, condemnation for what you've done, constant condemnation and guilt for what you've done. So what, what, what has to happen in the life of Hannah, who is depressed now, right? What, 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 what needs to happen to all the Hannahs in the world, including the little bit of Hannah that's still left or at that time, the type, the type of Hannah that is left still in the mind of believers today, is we have to acknowledge what the Lord has done. We have to acknowledge what the Lord has done. And then the world that are still that old Hannah, right? The old Hannah that we're talking about, which are depressed because of the way that they've lived or the things that they've done or the guilt that they live with because of past work, right? That they would acknowledge what? I need a savior, right? I need a savior. Um, and verse number eight, it says, then said Elkanah, her husband to her, and this is so good. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? In other words, why do you weep? And why, why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am, am not I better to thee than ten sons, right? He says, am I not better to you than ten sons? And, and, and it's, a, it's a cool thing, right? That when, when, when people that are in the world are coming to that place, right, where they're seeking after the Lord, they're, they're seeing that they just, that they cannot, right? Like, like a person living under the law being shown, you cannot, you need to be saved, right? You need what, what the Lord has done. And then you hear the good news, right? You hear the good news about the gospel. What, what you want to happen is that people would see 
the goodness of God, right? That people would see the goodness of God and that their heart would be changed, right? That they would see the goodness of God and their mind would begin to be renewed. You know, Hannah, obviously, who we said her name means grace, right? She's still, right, at this point, right, is, is working by just the flesh, right? And, and she's allowing, right, that, that one which is according to the flesh to still to persecute and still bring depression and pain and condemnation to her mind, right? In other words, that remembrance of that yearly sacrifice over and over again, it just brings the knowledge of sin. Like, imagine living that way. I, I can't remember what that is to live like that anymore, right? <laughs> but to constantly live with the knowledge of everything that you've ever done wrong weighing on your back, weighing upon your head, right? It said, it, it, Elkanah says to her, am I not better to you than 10 sons? And that word better there is really the goodness, right? It, it, it almost like it, the word better can almost be translated almost there like, am I not gooder to you than 10 sons? In other words, you're seeing your fruitlessness, right? You're seeing your fruitlessness, but you're not seeing me, right? In other words, you have your eye on what you don't have, but your eye is just not on me. That, that is the problem that even Christians live with today. They see lack of fruitlessness in, in an area of their lives, and then they hone in, laser focus on that fruitlessness, right? Well, that's never going to change anything because you, you cannot become a partaker of what you have in you by concentrating on what you don't see, right? It, it's actually the opposite, right? You receive from what God has already given you by growing in the knowledge of him. In other words, am I not gooder to you? Do you not see my goodness? It is the goodness of God that changes the heart of people, right? It's the goodness of God. It's the truth about, right, the good thing that Christ brought along, right? The, the law obviously was just the, the whole tabernacle and all that was just a shadow of the good things that were to come. Christ brought forward, right, those good things. So, so whenever you see a lack or a problem, is the goodness of God that he has manifested to us through what Jesus Christ did for you, is that not better to you, right, than anything else in this world, right? Is it not more valuable to you, right, and not worth trading, right? Esau, right, it says, did evil in the Lord's sight because he, he devalued the work of Jesus Christ, right? He devalued the gospel, but imagine us who have valued the gospel. How, how much fruitfulness do you think we are able to, to manifest in our lives when we are of those that value the gospel and continue in it? Continue constantly in it. There's a little bit that I'll talk to you about that continuing in here as we're wrapping up. But um, in verse number nine, it says, so Hannah rose up after uh, they had eaten in, in Shiloh, which is actually means rest right? It says she, she rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. It says, and now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And I have some, some ideas there, but we'll just keep going. Verse number 10 then says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And look at verse number 11. And she vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaiden. Let me just show you something in Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25, verse number 18 says, look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins, right? Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Just to give you a little bit of a picture there, right? Hannah is coming to the Lord, so she sees her fruitlessness, right? 
And instead of concentrating on her fruitlessness, right? Like, try to get your mind off the fact that she's praying for, to have a son, a boy, right? This is not a story about a woman that lived happily ever after with her white prince, right? That's not the idea of why God put this here. So forget about the fact that it is that her having a son. Look, look at critically at the words that are used. It says, she prays to God and says, see my affliction. Her affliction and her problem is the rem- constant remembrance of her sin. In other words, the, 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 the problem of the human race, right, is that they live dead in their sins with a constant recollection and a remembrance of their sin. The good news about the gospel is that we no more have to live with a consciousness of sin because we live with a consciousness of what Christ has done, right? Here it says that she prayed, said, look at my affliction, right? Look, Lord, of of." of how I'm living, look at the problem that I have, and remember me. Forget not your handmaiden, but will give, it says, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child. Like, it's an interesting thing. She's praying for a child, but if you could look at that, right, as she's praying, right, prophetically, right? In other words, she's praying in an under, under, in, in, the, in the book of 1 Samuel, which is before the coming of Christ, right? So what she's actually saying is, right, she's looking ahead to who? To the man-child that will come. In other words, to the child that will come in the body of a man, right? She's praying for a savior, right? So the picture there is yearly sacrifice that only brought the knowledge of sin, right? And the only way that we could get out of that was to see that that was only a picture and a figure of Christ who was to come. So what she's actually recognized in the center there is I'm recognizing the Christ who's to come, right? I'm recognizing Jesus who is to come. She said, give me a man child. Said, then I'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it says, and it came in, came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now this is a cool thing because it says that Eli Eli marked her mouth, and that word word marked there is pretty cool. That it means like that he heard, right? I know there the context is kind of like he saw her mouth moving but didn't hear any words, but the word marked her mouth is kind of like he heard or was attentive to her mouth, right? So and we were actually praying that just before I think Miss Lindsay was praying about that before we were singing about it a little bit about how how the Lord hears us, right? So in other words, so she prayed about a Messiah who was to come and say, Lord, I believe that you're going to send what? You're going to send my Redeemer. You're going to send a Redeemer. So she put her faith in that, right? She puts her faith in that, and it says that Eli marked her mouth. In other words, God heard, God heard her prayer. So Hannah, it says, verse 13, it says, now Hannah, it says, uh, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but it's a cool thing, right? That faith, Romans uh, 10, I believe, says that faith is in your heart and it's in your mouth, right? But faith, first and foremost, in other words, faith in Jesus Christ is a thing of the heart. It's not a work of the flesh, but it's a thing of the heart of, of man, right? In other words, you, you know the Lord in your mind and in your heart is where faith comes from. So she, she prayed for a man child and it says, and she prayed for the coming redeemer and it says, and she believed then in her heart, right? That's what, when it, when it says that now Hannah, she spake in her heart, right? It's talking about faith. Verse number 14 says, and Eli said unto her, how long how long will you be drunken? Uh, put away your wine from thee. In other words, he, um, carnally speaking, right, he was supposed to have seen that she was speaking, but no words were coming out, and she's like, she's drunk, right? 
Um, but it says in verse 15, it says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor, st- nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not your handmaid, it says, for a daughter of Belial, in other words, an evil woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken hitherto, right? So that's really a picture of the fact that, it's, you know, that out of the abundance of your heart, you speak, right? So faith, faith, she put her faith in a redeemer who was to come, and out of the abundance of her heart is where she was speaking um, about, the, about the coming Messiah, about the coming redeemer. Um, and in verse number 17, it says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked for. And she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. See, um, what she begins to talk about here changes everything, right? Before she's depressed. Before she's looking at her fruitlessness and not looking at God, right? Not, before she's living with the reminder of her sin, year after year after year, living with the reminder of her sin. Now, right, she's at a place where she is thinking her eye is at a Messiah that would come. Just like Abraham lived prior to the Messiah coming and rejoiced to see the day of Jesus when he would come and be born in the body of a man and die on a cross for our sins, right? And Furthermore, after that, and see the blessedness of the church, right? She was, she was looking ahead to that, right? She was looking ahead to that. Um, obviously, her, symbolically Hannah, right? Obviously, of those that the Lord believes, in other words, in his foreknowledge, the Lord knows would accept him, right? That's what Hannah's representing there. Um, and it says um, in verse number 18, and she said, let not thy handmaid, uh, let thine handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And you know, the thing that this reminded me of, is a little bit off topic a little bit, but it just reminded me of how awesome the gospel is. Like, even before you're actually establishing the gospel, and even before you're even saved, right, but you're hearing the gospel, it's an amazing thing how it has, how the good news about Jesus has an immediate effect on your mind and on your mood. And on, in other words, because it's not just positive thinking, right? But this is actual truth about things that you will grow sure of, but it has an immediate positive effect in your mind. Like even, even as, as, you know, as we grow in the knowledge of things, even the process of growing and becoming established in a specific truth, in a specific thing of the Word of God, right, has an immediate good effect in your mind, has an immediate good effect in the way that you're looking at that circumstance. In other words, that, 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 quick, um, that quick help that it provides you, that comfort is a good word, right? That comfort that the Word of God provides you, right, is also part of what con- makes you continue looking into that. In other words, you see the goodness of God. You see the goodness of what God has done, and you want to continue in that goodness, right? You want to continue in that truth. It says her countenance, and says, was no more sad, right? Um, verse 19, and, and, and I say that that way because in the picture of this account, I don't see her saved yet, right? I see her praying and acknowledging one that was to come. I see her, you see her growing in faith, but I don't, don't see her saved until what? Until those that um, in the foreknowledge of God, he knows that they will believe in him actually receive him, right? When you receive the spirit of God, that's when obviously you're saved. But here what you see is, her countenance was no more sad. Verse 19 says, And they rose up in the, um, rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. Right? And Elkanah, now here's the beautiful part right here. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. 
He knew her, right? That means that he was intimate with her. He knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, right? In other words, when, when Elkanah knew her, right, that, that is a receiving, right? A picture of the receiving of the Spirit of God. In other words, you receive your Redeemer, right? You've been purchased out of this world. You've, you've, you've exited this earth, and even though you are still in this world, now you are no longer of this world. You are no longer part of this world. You no longer need to identify with this world, which is a lot of what we started off saying, right? Um, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, real quick, I, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather are known of God, right? In other words, um, now after you have known God, about, that talks about us knowing God, it says, but rather like God knowing you, right? In other words, it was Elkanah that knew Hannah, not Hannah that knew Elkanah. It was Elkanah that knew Hannah. In other words, it was, it was those that God in his foreknowledge knew that they would receive him, right? The ones that it was God that knew you, right? It, you, in other words, God, it, it was the Lord that loved you first, right? And then you loved him, right? We love him because he first obviously loved us, right? Um, So it says, Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Verse number 20, wherefore it came to pass that when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and she called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And and that's a pretty cool thing, right? The the name Samuel means, right, that he he was asked of the Lord. But if you look at that, if you look at that entire bit there, and you say, you know what, Lord, I can see... I can see, Lord, the things that you're showing me, Lord, that I no longer have to live with the remembrance of my sin time after time. Almost as though, because people have like this noble thought sometimes, that remembering your sin makes you a better man or a better woman going forward, right? That never works like that. Never. It never works like that. You don't remember your sin and then become a better person, right? You remember your sin and you continue condemned for that sin, right? The knowledge of sin does not bring righteousness. Never. The knowledge of sin never brings righteousness. The knowledge of Christ is what brings righteousness, right? So, so to think anything otherwise, to have ever any noble thought about supposedly learning from your mistakes, right? You're just fooling yourself. You're living like the world instead of living like who you have been made, right? There is nothing about who we are today, nothing about who we are and the new creation that the Lord has made us that has absolutely anything to do with who we are and what we've done, right? The fruitfulness that you see in, in those that God in his foreknowledge sees that they'll receive him, it has nothing to do with the things that they've done. In other words, there is nothing, nothing in the, in the, the, the works of men that actually bought you to the place of salvation, right? It's not about, oh, you have to be so thankful, you know, because if this bad thing wouldn't have happened, then I would have never known the Lord. You have this all wrong. You're trying to take credit almost for the fact that the reason why you saw Jesus is because you had a heart attack, that the reason why you saw Jesus is because you had a car accident, right? You're looking at things that are intended to bring death to your life as though they had a hand, a sovereign hand in you knowing the Lord. God does not use car accidents nor heart attacks to bring people to him, right? God says, for those that require a sign, the Lord says, no sign will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. In other words, three days, he was in the belly of the whale, right? That all that is is just a symbol and the sign of Jesus, right? 
People that constantly are living about a sign and, oh, maybe this was a sign and maybe that was a sign. And, you know, it's been cold. It's been cold and I don't know what happened. You know, it's been really cold in Sullivan County. And I, when I went to the mailbox today, I saw a flyer from Norwegian Cruise Line. That must be the Lord giving me a sign that I need to go on a cruise, right? It's like if we live by signs, right, we will see nothing of God. While you're looking for a sign, you will never see Jesus, right? So it's, if, we, if we take and put aside all of that garbage, whether it be in our Bible reading or just our plain living life, right, let the Lord reveal to you who Jesus is. Keep that one thing. And I know, you know what, there, there, maybe there are some of you that, you know, over the years, you didn't kind of hear the transition, right, as we continue to grow in this thing. But there was a time, like, the only thing that we were preaching for months was the one thing, the one thing, the one thing, your one work. Mary at the feet of Jesus. Mary at the feet of Jesus. The one thing, the one work. This one thing that she found, and it will not be taken from her. You, you, you know what happened? I, I still, even to this day, I still account, right, the journey that the Lord has brought us through in growing in the knowledge of him, the same way as it was with Paul, went away for 13 years, 11 or 13 years, and then came back having learned Jesus, right? That, that you just have to allow the Lord to be the one to teach you. You know what? That's why I started off and I'll close here. You know, when we started, a lot of what was kind of abundantly in my heart was just to share with you about how important it is not to hold things dear in your mind because of somebody that something that someone told you. Do you know that there are people that live out the rest of their physical existence on the words of a dying person? That someone that died, right before they died, they asked them to do something for them. And they made them a promise, yes, I will do it. So you live out the rest of your days on that word instead of living out the rest of your days on the flesh and even more so eternally going forward, right, based on what God has said about you. But instead, we live and hang on the words of men, living the rest of our lives as men pleasers and not as pleasers to God by faith, right? In other words, that, that, that we would be able to allow the Lord to make us the kind of people and give us the type of discernment that says, you know what, I don't value men men's words because of who the man is right i value the things that i hear from men when they are in accordance with christ then you know what when you see prophecy when you see things that seem strange to you that seem unfamiliar when you when you um when the lord is showing you something that seems like oh like that's a little off like i don't get that like the lord can be telling you something that's completely true and you just are interpreting it wrong. And you're like, Lord, like, why are you showing me that? Like, that seems weird, right? But, but, but when you put aside your own interpretation of things and circumstances and signs and Norwegian cruise line flyers in your mailbox, right? And you just say, Lord, just teach me Jesus. And you allow, you, you watch carefully when someone is saying something or when you're seeing a sign in front of you or when you're seeing anything that is supposed to point your mind in any direction. If at the end of that, of what is done right in front of you, right? You see that what was done led your mind to the finished work of Jesus, then receive what's being said. Receive what's being said because where your mind ended up is where God wants your heart and your mind, right? But when you see somebody do something that appears supernatural and appears like there's power and appears like the Holy Ghost is working through them and all that it does is exalt men, be very careful, be very careful. When you hear men say something to you that gets your mind off of the finished work of Jesus but gets your flesh all activated and excited to do something for Jesus, right? Be careful about the way that you're interpreting it or be careful about the way somebody else is saying something because if somebody's activating your flesh, that is not the desire of God. 
God gave you his spirit to put your flesh to sleep, to death. Not to make it active, to make his spirit active within you. So when you hear something and it activates your flesh, like you better go out there and you better do something for Jesus, you better go out there and you better do a work for God. Careful how you're hearing things because instead of you being occupied with God and hearing the Lord tell you, am I not better to you than any work that you could ever do for me? Am I not enough for you? See, people got this backwards, right? People got this backwards. You feel that you have to do something for God, but is he enough for you? If you never did a single cotton-picking thing in this entire earth, if you never did anything, quote-unquote, for God, is the knowledge of him enough for us, right? Is that enough for you, right? If this church never grew from what it is today, and I don't believe it'll stay like that, but if it never grew a single solitary other person, do you think I'm, I, my joy comes from the fact that these ch- chairs are filled? I'm, I'm rejoicing because of who I know. Regardless if the whole world dishonors God, regardless if the whole world tells God, you know what, you're full of garbage, I don't believe anything about the Redeemer, I don't believe anything about Jesus, that takes nothing away from me. Nothing. If the whole world deserts you, right, and you are the only one left knowing Jesus, that needs to come to a place in our mind where it is enough where the love of God for you is enough, more than mother, more than father, more than home, more than nation, more than ethnicity, more than, more than heritage, more than anything in your life, the knowledge of Jesus, that's enough. He's better to you than 10 countries. He's better to you than 10 citizenships, right? You are a citizen of heaven, right? You are a citizen of heaven. Today, people value the things that are of the world. Imagine if we would continue in our lives to value just him. Lord, you're enough. And everything else that comes is just additional. And he adds many, he adds to you anything you could ever need or want. But isn't it a cool thing to allow the Lord to bring your mind to the place where you could say, you know what, Lord, you are enough. Even if physically the doctor tells me you cannot have any children. Lord, you're enough. I want to have children, right? But if you say, but Lord, if I never have a child... The knowledge of Christ is enough for me. Me knowing what you have done for me is enough for me, right? And then you continue to grow in the knowledge of the fact that he's given you life on the inside to give life to your mortal body. What Abraham learned was not that he was able to have a child. What Abraham learned, and it took him 25 years to get there, was the knowledge of Jesus, right? Abraham did not learn, he was not assured of the fact that he was going to have a son because he said it enough times in his mind. Abraham knew that he was going to have a son because he was assured by Jesus Christ that he could have a son. In other words, he knew the Lord, therefore he was assured, of course, of course the death that worked in my body now is not going to continue to work in my body, right? And why can I be sure that I will have a son? Because of the life of Christ, right? That's how I know that I can be sure. That's the surety that we can continue to put in the minds and in the hearts of people that even Christians today still live with this sign and this wonder and this stuff. And if one person goes forward, you know, and they get healed of a thing, oh, you know what, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was going to go forward now, but look, people are getting healed, so I'm going to go too, right? In, in other words, it, it's this thinking, it's this signs and wonder mentality. You know, signs and wonders are intended to do one thing, to lead us to Jesus. If the sign and the wonder is doing the opposite in your life, then it's having the opposite effect, right? And it's not the result that God wants. You know, like, like anything else, any other custom, anything else that the church does today, baptism, uh, 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 giving, um, anything that the church does today, right? It should be, it should be as 
fruitfulness, right? But, but we don't see that as fruitfulness, right? The, the things that we do, a lot of times we don't see them as fruitfulness. The things that we do, we see them as the antithesis to receiving, right? If I can do this, then I'll receive. But you don't see that what you're doing is a result of what you have received, right? We kind of see it backwards. But I think, you know what, the, the, the Lord can take our minds to the place where, where the knowledge of Christ is better to us, is gooder to us than anything else, and then by the knowledge of Jesus, right, that is where our fruitfulness will come, will come from, right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one, Lord, that we are bearing in our lives, Lord, that you are the one that, it, that are on the inside of us that is coming out of us, Lord, that you are the treasure that is in us, Lord, that you are that which we value, Lord, and we treasure in our hearts and our minds, and it is you, Lord, that we're giving birth to into this world, Lord, so that people can see you, Jesus. That there is no need, Lord, to bring a sign or a wonder forward if it does not in the end reveal you, Jesus. We thank you, my God, that, um, that it is you, Lord. You, Lord, that can be glorified, my God, upon this earth. That it is the knowledge of what you have done that will spread, my Father. Not the name of an organization, Lord, but the name of an organization that is known for revealing you, Jesus. That that is how we would be known, Lord. Those that reveal and manifest the Christ. That show forth and manifest Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The feelings, my God, many times that we have. There are things, Lord, that you're showing us, Lord. Stuff that you are going to birth out of us, my God. You're going to do these things, Lord. You're going to birth these things out of us. You're going to work and you're going to do all of these good works. Father, but you desire for our heart to be singular, Lord. For our heart to be single and that our hearts would not be preoccupied with anything else apart from just simply growing in the knowledge of you, Lord. That knowing you, my God, is everything. Knowing you, Jesus, is everything. And you will add things to our lives. But that is not our priority. That's not what we're trying to make happen. That's not what is dominating our thoughts and in our minds. Lord, if we, we're at a place today, and there are people here today, Lord, where the worries or cares or even good things, quote-unquote, are occupying their minds, Lord, most of the day. The same thing, occupying their minds, Lord. I pray, my Father, that just as we, when we were children, took the correction of our Father, how much more can we, Lord, just submit our hearts to the Father, to our Heavenly Father, and allow you, Lord, to correct those things, to bring those things down in our mind and exalt the knowledge of your Son, the knowledge of our Redeemer, first and foremost preeminent in our mind, Lord, so that we will live so that we will live, my God, so that we will live, my God. The correction that you bring into our hearts will give us life. Life, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our minds and in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you continue to do in our individual lives, Lord. We love you. We, are gr we have grown to a place and are continuing to grow, maybe some of us, Lord, where we, we are growing to love or do already love your correction. Keep correcting our hearts, Lord, and let our hearts not be swayed or moved away from the gospel for anything or anyone, for anything or anyone. Let us put you first, Lord, and everything else will be added unto us. In Jesus' name, thank you, my God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. 
If you'd like to support Reform Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.